Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Today, Gail and I are going to talk about Netflix's book club that's going to be launching on November 16th. Um, we, of course, love books. We love to see what kind of book-to-movie adaptations are in development. So for me, it's kind of exciting to have this all in one place and for the books I'm interested in to be able to hear from the directors and the cast and everything like that. So we will be talking about some of the books that they have already adapted and what they're going to be doing going forward. And we're also going to throw in a little discussion on the last three books that each of our book clubs have read and what we thought of them. That's our show for today, but let's get started with Gail and what she's been reading. Yeah. Hi. Well, I just finished a book that I'm in the worst book hangover from because I really liked it. And I have to excuse my, I've got a little bit of a, I'm getting over a cold. So sorry if I sound a little either nasally or gravelly or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> I read Joyce Maynard's new book, Count the Ways, which I really, really, really liked. And you kind of like her. She's, it seems like she's a, an author that you look out for. Exactly. Yeah, I like her a lot. I've, although I realized this is only my third one by her. I've read Labor Day and Under the Influence which I love. That was maybe four or five years ago. And then this new one. The third one that's out? No, there's more. I think there's more that I haven't read, which is kind of making me want to go back and and fill in. This is a family drama. It's about um, a woman who has like a really sad childhood, which seems to be a theme in her book. So I'm wondering what her childhood was like. She had a really sad childhood and then she kind of gets married young to this guy who's a little older than her and they live in a a kind of ramshackle farmhouse, um, like north of Boston. I don't know if it's in New Hampshire or if it's still in Massachusetts. And it's really just about like their marriage and their family and, you know, what happens to them over the course of like 30 years. And they have kids and there's kind of a, 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 a defining tragic event that happens like halfway through or maybe a third of the way through, which really affects their relationship. And it's just like, I don't know, she, her writing is, it's, it's sad. There's a lot of sad things that happen, but I just, I love the way she tells the story. I had a hard time putting it down. I'm going to give one like negative on it though. And I have noticed this lately, like it needed a really good edit. There was a lot of repetition in some of the details or descriptions of characters that would just kind of pop up all the time. Like even within the same page, there'd be repetition. I feel like with a really diligent editor, that stuff would have been caught. And I'm kind of noticing that in a lot of books now. And I'm just, are editors just like so short staffed or like, why aren't these books being edited better? I think that editors are overwhelmed. I think with social media, with books, I think that people are a lot involved a lot more in things that are not necessarily editing. And I think editors are also responsible for acquiring books, looking for the, the next best thing. So I don't know. There's so much that goes into that. And sometimes people's editors leave and projects don't become as much of a priority to someone who didn't select that book. That's something that I've heard with different authors that I have talked to. I think 
probably even starting as much as five years ago that some people just feeling like they weren't getting the attention that they needed from editors, like to really tell them certain things. So, right. Yeah. I think it's a bunch and being short staffed too, like a lot of things. And I remember hearing at one point that really the big investment for editing goes to nonfiction books. Um, well, I, you know, that, that would have been a five-star book for me and I had to knock it down a little bit just cause it, I found that frustrating and distracting. Um, and I also went on Goodreads and it was like the reviews were either five-star or two-star and the two stars were, um, of the editing. often very much because of the editing. They're like, it was so repetitive. I just could, you know, it really bothered me. It got annoying. So I don't know that stuff aside, I really loved it. And, uh, I have to recommend it. I wonder when's the last, like what was the last book that she wrote and what was the time period? Cause I wonder if you write a book and you give it some cooling off, like you don't look at it for a couple of months. Don't yeah. you kind of notice those things when you come back to it? Yeah, I would think so. Right. Like when you're in the middle of it, like you're so into these characters that like the way you describe them is because you're like, that's my character. Right. But that's a good point. So I think that she had, I'm just looking it up. She had uh, a book. I, you know, she had a husband who died. It was like a kind of later in life marriage. Did you read, you didn't read that one, did you? No, I thought it was nonfiction, right? It was like a memoir about her. Yeah, I thought she had something like that. Yeah, I did not read that. The Best of Us. And I wonder if I have that in the house somewhere. I didn't. I never read it. I follow her on Facebook, and she posts very, very long, very emotional posts that can go like screen after screen. You're like scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. So <laughs> I, I think I didn't read it because I kind of felt like I had sort of read a lot of it in her posts because she was posting when he was sick and what was going on. Um, and I'm actually looking now on Amazon. She has a lot of books out that I haven't read, like ones that go back to like 2004, 2012. Yeah. I look at Goodreads and it says she has 38 distinct books. <laughs> yeah. So she obviously writes, you know, maybe that's one point is that she writes them quickly and then there's not a lot of time between them. Um, yeah, see. she's so got a lot of books was here. 2021. Count the ways to 2021. And then um, the one about probably about her marriage, The Best of Us, is 2017. Hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. She, you know, she does a lot of like writing seminars and stuff. Like, she, that's another thing she talks about on Facebook a lot. Is she holds these retreats for writers. So she's clearly like somebody who's very, you know, into the craft of writing. Right. That's why it's sort of surprising. But anyway, so that I read. And then the other thing I wanted to note that I finished, because I think I mentioned it to you last time we talked was I did read news of the world, Mm -hmm. which um, has been on my shelf for like five years. And I Mm. read that for my book challenge. Um, That's going to be my book to movie. I haven't watched the movie yet, but I will. And it was good. It was good. It's a um, historical fiction book about an older man during uh, the post-Civil War Reconstruction era in Texas. And he goes from town to town reading the news to people who don't have access to newspapers, potentially can't read. And he goes and he reads about what's happening so people can learn about what's happening both in the U.S. and eventually in the world. And he is tasked with the um, – he gets paid by someone to transport a girl, a 10-year-old girl, from 
uh, Wichita Falls, Texas, back to her relatives outside San Antonio because she was seized by Indians during a raid and her family, her immediate family was all killed and she's supposed to be returned to her aunt and uncle. <clears throat> and uh, it's just about like their journey and kind of the relationship that develops between the two of them. And it's, it's good. It's a good historical fiction. I don't read a lot of historical fiction, so that was good. And just kind of about the relationship that sort of slowly grows between the two of them. And then I'm going to watch the movie. So that kind of catches you up on my recent stuff. Okay. So you said you're experiencing a book hangover. So should I take that to mean that <laughs> you're not reading anything right now? No. No dry book, no audio No, book. no, no. And you get, and you, thanks to your prod from last week, I actually have a blow dry book going. So <laughs> no, I've got all three going. I think, um, the audiobook I'm reading is um, Friends and Strangers by J. Courtney Sullivan. Um, and that's that's kind of humming along. That's fine. Usually the book hangover doesn't affect the audiobook that much. Um, and then for the blow dry book, I'm reading a collection of essays, which is a, something I almost never do, called I Miss You When I Blink by, is it Mary Alice Philpot? Mary something Philpot. And she. She works at Parnassus Books with um, Ann Patchett. She's a writer in her own right, you know, bookseller and writer, and she's done a lot of things. And it's a collection of essays. So that lends itself nicely to blow dry because sometimes I can get through most of an essay while I'm blow drying my hair. So no, those are humming along. And then I picked up a book. This is actually my next book club book. Um, It's called Olympus, Texas. Have you heard of that one? It's kind of like... Well, this is what Sarah on her podcast would call brain candy. It's about like people behaving badly in a family in Texas. So it's fine. I'm just like, I think it, I was so consumed by count the ways that it was hard. You know how it is like when you like are mourning the loss of it the end of a book to then switch gears can be kind of challenging. How'd you come up with, I've never, I haven't even heard of that Olympus, Texas. Is that recent or did someone yeah. recommend that? Or do you recommend it? Um, it came out a couple, I don't know, maybe in the spring mm-hmm. and it was definitely on some of the like spring, um, book lists. I think I heard, I think I definitely heard about it on Sarah's podcast. I think I'm Catherine from Gilmore guide, read it and recommended it. And, you know, I was in the library like a couple weeks ago and it was there and I just grabbed it. So lots of four and five stars. Yeah. Like, it's screen. like, I don't think it's like deep literature. Right. What's kind of cool about it is the characters are meant to represent Greek gods, mm. and hence the name Olympus. It takes place in a town called Olympus. So you have like a patriarch and matriarch, and there uh, is it Zeus and Hera or something. And then you've got a couple of kids and then a couple of half siblings who represent like Athena and Artemis. So, I mean, I'm not like so familiar with Greek mythology that the parallels between the storylines are matching up yet, but maybe I'll sort of brush up on it a little bit as I get deeper into the book. That's so funny because I was reading someone, uh, Jenny Lawson's review, and she said she didn't really read the summary. And she goes, why are these people so terrible? And then she says she picks up on the fact that it's all about mythology Mm -hmm. and their destructive and self-destructive family. So yeah, (laughs) tendencies. So yeah. So I think that catches catches us up. How about you? Okay, so I finished a few books. Um, I have been reading 
Intimacies by Katie Kitamura. And I finished reading that and I really liked it. I really like her style. She tends to write about, I guess, characters who are at a loss and searching for themselves. The last one that she wrote about was when this woman goes to Greece to find her husband from whom she is estranged. It seems like he's missing while he's there. She's quite not quite sure what happens, what has happened to him. And she has all these strange encounters in this hotel. So this one is about a woman who her father has died. Um, he's had a long illness in New York. So he dies and her mom moves back to Singapore and she's kind of at loose ends. She feels like she's done with New York City and she takes a post as an interpreter at The Hague. So it's all about her first year there and getting acclimated to that kind of work. Um, she's in a relationship with someone who's ties to his past have not been completely severed. Like his wife has just taken their children and moved to a different country, but he's still really entwined with her. And then she has a friend who she visits a lot in this building that's kind of in an up and coming neighborhood. It's a gentrifying neighborhood and the friend witnesses this violent attack. And somehow she becomes tied up into that and kind of obsessed with, with what's going on with that. So. I really like this book because it's just one of those things that I never would have thought about before. Like you never think about an interpreter, you know, like when you have people at the Hague who are on trial for war crimes, there is someone who is giving voice to their words, their point of view, and also translating things so that they can understand. And quite a bit of it is about her relationship with this man who is accused of genocide in you know, in his country and a little bit of the politics, because it seems like he's from a, um, maybe an African or a Middle Eastern country. And so there are all these questions about why is it that he is on trial for these things when some other leaders have done similar things and are not. But it's also about how much that affects like what hearing these things and translating and I guess the quote unquote relationship that you have as someone who's translating for someone, like how does this affect you? How does it affect your life? And what is your relationship with him? So she's just going through a crossroads and she has like these interesting facets of her life that were just really fascinating to read. And she manages to do all of this. Her books are never that long. I mean, this is maybe 250 pages, if that, but it was really good. I like I like her books. I'll probably at some point, you know, I I don't know. I, I'm already making fun of myself in my head as I say that at some point I want to go back and read, you know, some more of what she's written. Mm-hmm. Have you ever read anything anything by her? No, I have a separation sitting on my shelf, and I know right, a separation was the one I talked about earlier, and I think Barack Obama had put this one on his reading list. Um, from the past year. Mm. So, so interesting. I could I can see that. Uh what else have I been reading? And then I read something. It's called Kill All Your Darlings by I want to say his name is David Bell. And it reminded me of you. I thought about you every time I picked up this book because <laughs> to take we, place in one day. No, it doesn't take place in one day, but you really like the plot and it has kind of a similar premise 
This one is about this college professor. He has been, you know, he had some acclaim with one book, but his family has died. They're in an accident. So his wife and his son die. And he is just like having a hard time coming to grips with their deaths. But he also needs to publish so that he can make tenure. And he has a brilliant young woman in one of his classes. She goes missing. She's missing for two years. And very quickly, they presume that she has met with foul play and is dead. So she had handed in her thesis to him and he publishes it. And then he comes in like one day after the reading, like he's out at a reading for the book. They're celebrating the release of this book and he comes home and there she is sitting in the chair. And of course, she wants to know like why he's done this. I wouldn't say that this was as good as the plot. It's a little bit uneven. I found like in the beginning, I was really into it. And then there was just kind of a lull I went through and then it picked back up a little bit. But it does ask questions about, I guess, when you are grieving, like how responsible are you for that? And it's also kind of a little bit of a Me Too book because why his student ends up disappearing is entwined in some things that are going on at the campus, um, whether it's professor with the professors and with the students or, you know, Madeline, who is the woman who comes back. She's also involved. She has a friendship with a woman who is in a difficult relationship. But things really take a turn because as it turns out, she has written about something that she has seen a crime that has happened on campus. And of course, there's details that probably only the murderer would know. So Connor, who is the English professor, is in the hot seat with the police because of course they want to know uh, why he knows so much about the murders that took place on this campus. And of course, you know, he has a lot to lose if he admits that this book is not his. Mm, okay. So, I see yeah, the, uh, I see the parallels there. <laughs> it was pretty good. Like I said, there were spots where it definitely lost momentum and then it got it back a little bit. And then it's a thriller. So it had one of those endings. So I wouldn't say that you need to run right out and get it. But if you're in the mood for, um, you know, college campus stolen plot story, then pick it up, check it out. Got it. Okay. So right now I am reading a book that my book club finished and discussed, but I wasn't able to finish it at the time. And I really liked it. It's called Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zauner. So Ooh, I had mentioned that before. It's yeah, so Yeah, that's good. my book club's next book too. We're, we're tandem reading both um, Olympus, Texas and Crying in H Mart. Oh, okay. So, so the like light it? and the heavy. Oh, it's so good. Oh, I maybe mean, just, I should swap out and start that instead of Olympus, Texas. Yeah, it's not that long. It's 256 pages. It is about this woman's relationship with her mother. Like, I guess she's, Michelle Zauner is part of this band called Japanese Breakfast that I guess has some, some popularity. I hadn't heard of them before this book, but it's all about her relationship with her Korean mother, you know, just growing up. I think she grows up in like this really small town in Oregon. And, you know, she is, she's white and Korean. So it's kind of about her isolation and just longing for identity while she's in school and how her relationship with her mother is kind of fraught because she wants to fit in, but she does bond with her mother through like 
these delicious meals, Korean meals that her mother teaches her. And I guess it's kind of like her point of pride to be able to try all of these things. But still, their relationship is kind of rocky. And when she, I think she's graduated college and just going through the drudgery of finding like those first post college jobs that aren't that fascinating and trying to concentrate on her band when her mother gets really sick with cancer. And it's just kind of about her examining her relationship and how they, you know, how she grew up and their relationship when they grew up and, and reconciling, you know, the fact that her mom is, is really ill and repairing their relationship and and family dynamics. It's really good. Oh, good. Okay. So I will, think you will like that. And I'm trying to listen to No One Goes Alone by Eric Larson on audio. And I feel like I've started this book a million times and my concentration just hasn't been there. So I have to get a little bit further in that to see whether it is, whether it's the book or whether it's just me can't concentrate What's it on about? audio right now. It is about this family. It's about, it's kind of like about this search party and what happens when they go to some, um, this little island somewhere back in 1905 because this family has gone on this week long holiday, but they've disappeared. Like no one knows where they are. So as it starts out, it seems like, like this group, it's like a professor and, it's people who are affiliated with this department that does research into psychic phenomenon. So some of it is just like about ghosts and, but it's about all of them getting together on this Island that may or may not be haunted to figure out what happened to this family. Hmm. And it's supposed to be a terrifying tale of suspense, which is usually not me. I think I went into this with the, um, because Eric Larson had written it and I thought it might be interesting. This was the one that I mentioned on our nonfiction show. And then I realized it was fiction. <laughs> oh yes. I remember that. So I'll report back more in upcoming shows to figure out just what was going on. I think, I think that the setup is a little bit slow. Okay. So are we ready to talk about this Netflix book club? Sure. All right. I don't know where I heard about this. Like if they had a a commercial for it, if there was a press release, but Netflix has decided in conjunction to do a series of book clubs with Starbucks. So they are, you know, going to bring together the, the directors or the authors and sometimes the actors in the series just to, I guess, give some behind the scenes, like how they decided to adapt the book, maybe some color into why people were interested in making it, which I think is attractive to readers to figure out why your favorite actor was drawn to a certain work. So they're going to be doing these. I I guess it's going to be a book club once a month where you'll have the opportunity to read the book before the adaptation comes out and have a discussion. Like you can sign up for it. And their first one is going to be Nella Larson's Passing. And I think the first book club is going to be on November 16th, and it's hosted by Uzu Aduba, who was in um, Orange is the New Black, which is which was based on a book. How, what's the format by which these 
discussions will take place? Well, I think, I mean, it is a tie in with Starbucks. So I feel like they're probably just, it's going to be set in a Starbucks. <laughs> Maybe but is there a- just one? Like, like- No, I think it's going to be on a regular basis. Like if you go to their site is netflixbookclub.com and you can sign up. And so. No, but I mean like. Are they happening all over the country and then people are just going to gather and discuss? No, I think that, well, I'm not sure. I think that they're just going to, they're going to film the discussion and that she's going to be hosting that. uh, I just said her name and just forgot it. Uzo Adubu? Yes. She is going to be hosting and she will be talking to them. I don't think that you will be able to attend the discussion at the Starbucks. I see. Okay. But you can watch it or follow along. Right. I think Got that it. okay. it's going to show on Netflix. I see. So I, I found the site kind of confusing because it's like, I guess they've picked, so that's going to be the passing will be the first book, but then they've also linked to a number of other books. I that think they, they've already, to. right. Are those just like, we've got a nice captive audience of book lovers here. So we're going to throw in some of our adaptations at the bottom of the screen. I think so. I mean, okay. that was that was my guess. I mean, I think it. I don't know if you heard that, or did we discuss on the show that Reese Witherspoon recently sold her production company, Hello Sunshine, to a private equity company. Oh, I didn't know that. Made close to a billion dollars on that deal. Oh my god! So obviously, and with the amount of celebrity book clubs that have popped up. I think that they're, I mean, when you think about it, when you think about a book adaptation, you have got a built in audience of people who, oh, I read that book. Oh, I wonder who they're going to cast in it. And of course, there's this narrative that usually the novel is better than the adaptation, which I think has changed a little bit in the fact that now so many of them are not just straight like book to movie adaptations, but they have these really intricate TV series where they can invest a lot more time into bringing the smaller details and some of the, I guess, smaller characters into the story, as opposed to when you think about how much of a book you need to cut if it's going to be a film. So you have people who are interested just in the actor, the director, and then you have the curiosity from the book lovers who can help spread, for the most part, will can spread buzz or be really excited about seeing what's come of it. And then you have people who are just kind of interested in the premise. Right. And I think that, you know, now more than ever, um, it's become a thing, I think, for actors and actresses to start developing film adaptations or series out of novels that they love, you know, immediately having that backing. And we're hearing so early on about who's attached to these projects when who knows, they may not even get made for another year or two. Right. And especially with COVID doing the delay. And I think too, I know that they have those tabs where I would look, you know, it would say, Oh, based on a book, when you're in Netflix, you can, I guess, click on it, select it, and it will take you to a list of things. I wonder if their strategy will be to, to develop. If you know, you've got this pipeline of books that are coming out to give it just that much more exposure. Right. I'm looking through this list of adaptations at the bottom of the screen. If you go to this netflixbookclub.com 
page. I'm sort of trying to find like a a thread. I mean, obviously they have adapted or they've aired adaptations of books that, um, you know, some of them are, are sort of soapy. I didn't watch Virgin River, but I get the sense that's sort of soapy the way like Bridgerton or Firefly Lane are. But they also have like, you know, Made, which I've started and Unorthodox and Orange is the New Black. It's, yeah, I don't know, it's kind of a cool collection. It seems really geared towards women. <laughs> <laughs> Which which makes sense. Women are readers. Or at least fiction readers. Right. Oh, Queen's Gambit. So good. I made four different lists when I look at this. Because I do think, like you said, they are geared towards primarily fiction and primarily stories that women would be interested in. So there was a list that I had read and watched. So I've watched the first episode of Made and I read Made. I read The Woman in the Window and that adaptation. I don't know how you can have an all-star cast and that be the product. <laughs> yeah, it was not it was not that great. I would not have understood it at all if I not had not read the book. And I feel like they stripped away the strengths of what made the book and the story interesting and they just had like these little flashes of the connection, heavy connections to Hitchcock. She was a a suspense watcher. You know, she was she loved Hitchcock movies in the book. And I don't know, they just kind of had the TV playing in the background. That was a, just a very weird adaptation. <laughs> so, uh, okay. So bad for what should have been, it had good source material and had a good cast. I don't understand it. So behind her eyes, which has an element that, that makes people uncomfortable or they don't like the way it was adapted. But I, I like both the book and the movie and unorthodox, which I read of this that they have on their book club list. I think it's that are based on true stories. Right. Actually, Orange is a New Black is, but of right. the 20 or so that they have on here, only three are. So Rebecca, You, Mudbound, which I really liked, and Outlander. And I think you read Our Souls at Night. Oh, yes. Did you watch that movie? Yes. Well, you know, we've discussed on this podcast multiple times that I can never remember if I actually watched it or I just planned to watch it. I know. I think that's I watched it. I have to it. ask you. <laughs> I know. Um, I think I watched it. It's Jane Fonda and I forgot who plays. Oh, Robert, Robert Redford. Redford. Yeah, I think I watched it. I think that that must mean that they, if you did watch it, they must have done a really good job since you can never tell. It must have, it must have adhered closely to the source material. Right. And been good because you really like the book right <laughs> and you think you like the movie you know what's cool is that like you know netflix is at an advantage here because they've probably got sitting on a trove of user data so this this book club project is not like a big risky gambit for them because they know who's watching all these shows and they know exactly the demographics of people who watch these shows and they know what people who watch these shows uh, watch in addition. So like they can create a pretty good, accurate, like user psychographic profile and then decide what makes sense to target to them. What's really interesting, and I think it was Martin Scorsese, I think had written an article at one point that urged people to not, you know, not follow the algorithm because when you are watching Netflix, yeah, they have a trove of data. They know what part that you stopped on. 
They know mm-hmm. for how long. They know if you came back to it. So they know at what point you lost interest completely. <laughs> right. Um, right. I which mean, they things have a great- that you will binge. So they can even tailor their their um, movies and their series to very specific data, which I yeah. think is what Scorsese was trying to say, is that you can basically develop a show that you know what people's pain points are, you know what they rewind and what scene they watch again, or you just have so much information that can be tailored so specifically to people, you know, whatever demographic it is that they are trying to reach or they decide. You could probably read through this book and be like, well, based on other things like this, people don't like this or they lose interest here. So let's do this or let's do that. Yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of like everything is an echo chamber now, right? Yeah, right. So you don't you don't expand your horizons, you don't challenge yourself, you don't try new material. You just watch the same stuff over and over again. Yeah, I'm going to watch this and they already yeah. know, oh, she liked Rebecca and she paused at this point and I don't know, she seemed to have watched that part over and over, so maybe there's something about this drama that we can use yeah. and put in something else. Well, that's the whole Facebook echo chamber problem, you know, that we are so entwined with these technology platforms who know us so well, at least their algorithms do, that they create narrower and and narrower worldviews for us. I think that's the beauty, too, of going to a bookstore and browsing and not on the tables that they put out for you where it's just like, we think you'll like this based on whatever. But when you actually go to the shelves and just kind of pull books out, look at their covers, read the jackets, Because usually things, I mean, at everywhere, grocery stores, you know, the things that they really want you to buy are at eye level. When you go to a bookstore, whatever is facing out or, you know, these are things that they have selected. Usually bookstores, not bookstores, but publishers buy placement on these tables. And (laughs) it's hard to get away from things that are curated, which is kind of like why I love going to, you know, bookstores when I'm somewhere else and actually going to the shelves, not the table, not what, you know, here's what our booksellers love, but just a real browse. Or if you go to a used bookstore and just everything is just in there, it's not really curated. And then you find books that you just, it's just like, oh, this is interesting. I've never heard of it before. Because the things that you hear about are the things that people have made an effort to to make sure that you hear about. Right. It's what people think is going to sell. It's what people want to sell. (laughs) It's not just, oh, this is this fantastic book for the most part. Right. I don't know, but I'm I'm still curious. I'm still going to check it out. What do you think of Maid so far? Well, I, again, I made it like 15 minutes into the first episode and she was sort of escaping with her daughter. And it was like, I was kind of waiting for my son to go to bed and I put it on and he got, he didn't. He's like, well, this is scary. What is this? So I turned it off. So I barely watched any of it. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about what are your last three book club reads? I already mentioned one of mine, which was Crying in H Mart. We've had trouble meeting regularly, just like the summer. And then, I don't know, then back to school, everyone sort of got really busy. So what we ended up doing because we were waiting too long between meetings was we doubled up. Mm-hmm. a few times. So like right now we're reading Olympus, Texas and crying in H Mart. 
And so last month, and we haven't even met yet um, to discuss them, we read two books also. We read What Could Be Saved and then Want, which are two incredibly different books. We read The Other Black Girl and Want. Those were the two that were paired together. It was Want? Want by Lynn Stager Strong. Okay. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And the one that before that, I'm sorry, was What Could Be Saved. So we had a successful meeting with What Could Be Saved, and that included the author joined us by Zoom, which was really fun because we got to ask her lots of questions and talk to her. We probably talked to her for 45 minutes about the book. That's a fantastic book. I've mentioned it a bunch on the show, so I won't get too much into that again. But um, I really like that one too. Yes. Oh, good. So what did you talk you- to her about? Like, did she... Well, we talked to her a lot about, I mean, first of all, we talked about how she made the jump from being an emergency room doctor to being an author. So we talked a lot about that. We talked about, you know, she grew up in DC, which is where the book is set. And you know, we talked a little bit about growing up here because we're local. We asked her lots of plot questions, like how did she construct the plot? When did she decide what was going to happen to Philip? I don't want to give any spoilers away, but you know, we asked her some very specific questions about things that happened or characters, and you know, how did she decide? I feel like we need to talk about this offline. So yeah, I can yeah. Know. Right. I thought it was really, really amazing how she talked about because I've visited Bangkok. I've been a couple of times and it's just so, you know, I'm so familiar with the modern Bangkok and she talks a lot about the 1970s and kind of some of the things that shaped it becoming the modern city that it is. So I would have been really curious about her research into what it was like in the 1970s before there was all of this American development. And I guess you're seeing the beginnings of that with the family, why they're there and what project the father is really working on. Well, she lived there then. Um, She was actually an expat there and her dad did have a job in Bangkok. And so she, a lot of it is from memory and she's also been back more recently so she could sort of develop the, the recent side of it. So, um, it was interesting how much of the book is autobiographical, not, you know, she doesn't have a sibling who disappeared and anything like that, but just the settings and the time and the, you know, the the times when the the girls were living in DC was exactly when she was living in DC and the school that the girls went to in the book is the school that she went to in the book, which is actually the school that I went to as well. So (laughs) she and I went to the same, uh, high school. So, um, yeah, that was, that was a really cool conversation. So that was the last time I think we met in person. And then I think we're going to meet in another week or two to talk about want and the other black girl. And then in the interim, because like the weeks were passing, um, the way our book club works is I give everybody three picks and then they just decide which one they want to read. So So um, you're the curating aspect of this book club. Yes. I'm very spoiled and I (laughs) really appreciate that. And it was funny when there some people approached me about doing a book club and I was like, listen, guys, like I don't like book clubs because I'm super picky about what I read. And I just like, I said, unless you want me to pick all the books, then <laughs> I don't think I want to do it. And they're like, oh no, we're good with that because they know that I spend so much time reading about books and, you know, reading reviews and figuring out what's out there. They've been so nice about it. So very rarely do they ever say, did someone else suggest a book? They're just usually content to read one of the three I give them. And then um, this time, and the last time we had trouble narrowing it down from three to two. So we were just like, or three to one. So we just decided to do two. So that's what we did this time. So 
so last time it was the other black girl and want, and then in the interim, I suggested some books and they picked Olympus, Texas and crying in H1. Maybe that's what went wrong with our book club. You need to pick all the books. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm, it's, it's a shortcoming of mine that I'm not like, Oh, I, I'm open to reading anything. I have the like Netflix, Netflix algorithm problem. Like I, I'm in my wheelhouse and I like to stay in my wheelhouse. So it's, that's probably bad, but they don't seem to mind. They're so nice about it. And like, even if it's a book as a dud, like they're just like, okay, what's the next book? I was going to ask you what have been your biggest duds? What was a dud? Um, well, I don't think people liked want very much, which we haven't discussed yet, but, but you judging. Liked it. I liked it okay, but I understand the shortcomings of want. Um, so I'm not, I, I'm, I will, you know, I'm sure I will not disagree with the books that, with the comments that people have about want. Um, you know, I have not kept a good list of the books we read for book club, which is a bummer. So I can't kind of glance at it. I, I'm in, I do remember that people did not like trust exercise at all. Yeah, you didn't like that one either. No, I know that was a while ago. People did not like trust exercise. Well, that book is kind of engineered to just mess with you. Yeah. Purposefully. I'm finding that the book club is not... I'm wondering if any people in my book club listen to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to find out. Yeah, I'm finding that the book club is not as interested in discussing or analyzing writing style. That it's much more plot driven. Like they're much more interested in talking about sort of how the book made them feel or like the characters or what happened. So I'm trying to shy away from books that are like trust exercise. Yeah, but I don't think many books are like trust exercise that just intentionally are playing with language and messing with you in the way that she does. Yeah. Is any book interested in in writing style? Any book club? Yeah. I mean, I am. Like, I always feel like I'm trying to turn the conversation back to, like, writing, why did the author pick this, what style it was. Like, I I don't know. That's what interests me. I love plot-driven books, but, like, I also really love analyzing writing style. And I feel like that's not what they want to talk about. So that's fine. So, we, you know, here's another one that we read for book club, Good Neighbors, which I know you and I also read. And I loathe that book. I think I hated it more than everyone else. But... Um, they were okay with it. They seemed like not as down on it as I was. Um, bad Muslim discount. We read that landslide. We read that, um, but these are duds or no, 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 those were not duds. Um, they loved landslide. They love Matt bad Muslim discount. I think more than I did actually. I can't read landslide cause I tried to read, I think her name is Susan Elise Connolly. Is that her? Yeah. Oh, that's right. You read another book by her that you didn't like. I read another book by her that I could not finish. Oh. Yeah. Landslide was a massive downer. Um, we read, um, I'm, oh, I'm also finding that they do not like super, super depressing dark books. So we read the girls from Corona Del Mar which was, uh, or did we actually read it? I can't remember if we didn't read it or some, some other people in the book club also read it, but it wasn't like our actual book club book. Um, cause I had read the knockout queen and they, 
there are some people in the book club who just do not want like super heavy, dark, depressing stuff. Like they're just like, I need to read to escape and I don't want that. So I'm sort of trying to avoid that type of stuff too. Yeah. You really have to know your book club. Yeah. And I probably, you know, before this year, for the last, I guess, 18 months or whatever, could read dark, depressing stuff. You know, like I could read it on the beach. (laughs) I think I've talked about reading some really dark books on vacation and just like the, um, the dichotomy of that. Yeah. The experience of that. And lately, yes, I don't want to read all the deep, dark things because I'm just like, oh, that's life. So. Yeah, that's what the, that's what 2021 is. <laughs> right, 2020, 2021. Um, but I'm, like I said, I'm putting down my thriller fair. I think the last few things I read um, have been kind of thrillery, my book club. So we read Crying in H Mart, which was really good. And I think we went through a period too over the summer. We read The Hunting Wives by May Cobb, which was like, we need to read just silliness in a way. I mean, it it does have some serious themes, but you know, it's it's like these rich suburban housewives. This one woman who's just moved to Texas and she's trying to fit in with this group that goes out and I don't know shoot targets every Friday or whatever is their thing. But it also seems like some of the club members are into just wildness, drinking, infidelity, and what happens when a woman is found dead on the property um, where they usually go when they do their shooting. So, you know, it's not like it was a light topic. A young woman is murdered and someone has done it. And it's about the main character being enmeshed in this investigation because of her connection to this group. Um. But it wasn't, I don't know, it just wasn't heavy, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So that was kind of our foray into that. Uh, We read also The Other Black Girl, which I think that book makes for, um, it makes for good conversation. I think that if you're willing to take it on what its merits were, as opposed to, I think there was a hype around it that had it at a disadvantage. How do you guys pick your books? Um, everyone, I think sometimes they kind of pick themselves. Like we had read Normal People by Sally Rooney and her new book was out. So I think that was one of those that everyone really loved, Normal People. And so something like that is kind of a new, a no-brainer. Oh, Sally Rooney has a new book out. Why don't we check that out? But for the most part, I think that there are a couple of people in the group. I would say I'm one of them who reads a lot or is industry connected. Like um, one of the women is an editor. And so maybe there's something that we've heard about or that will be coming out or someone's friend wrote, you know, we do suggestions like that. And then to, if other people have suggestions that come from their reading list and we kind of do a poll. That's cool. You've got a real insider book club going on. 
Um, well, this isn't the insidery one. The insidery one, we really don't need that much anymore. Mm, okay. With the pandemic. But with this one, I did have, you know, a couple of friends, a couple of people in there. Okay. Know something. So sometimes we read books like that. And sometimes it's just, oh, this kind of sounded good. It just really depends if there is just, I guess, if there's a new release coming out too, that's really strong that everyone wants to read. And sometimes, depending on mood, like we've read too many heavy books, does anyone know something that's lighter? So just a variety, but usually we try to come to some kind of consensus. And sometimes that happens right on at our meeting, you know, that we are able to kind of look things up and say, okay, let's read this. Or if some people weren't able to make it, or we're just really like nothing is, nothing is strongly pulling us, then that that's when it becomes, okay, we'll create a poll and like take the next four to five days to figure out what you want to read and vote. Do you um, read the book every time? Do I read the book every time? Yeah. No. <laughs> okay. I And not because I don't want to. A lot of times I just run into time constraints. Yeah. You know, like, Maybe I started it later than I should have because I just had stuff going on or. Yeah. And I think too, it's, uh, it depends on like what it is. It's something that I'm really excited about. A lot of the times the books that we select are things that I am interested in reading, but you know, every now and then there's something that is just like, Oh, I just don't feel like reading that. Yeah. I read it every time because I feel an obligation as the person who re- likely recommended it. I have to, I feel like I have to read it. And also, I mean, I have to be honest, I recommend to them books that sometimes help me in other ways. Like maybe it's something you and I have said we want to read, or it's a library book that I've got to return, or it fits one of my book, my book challenge categories. So (laughs) I often have somewhat of an, you know, it's in my house for a reason. Like, it's not like I, 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 oh, that's the other thing. I almost always just pick books that I have sitting in the house. So I don't have to buy it. (laughs) <laughs> God, oh I really gail have, you're in such trouble if they i know i really have no one's listening i don't think any of them listen to this um <laughs> and if they do i love them all dearly and they know that so it's not um yeah but you're giving them the best you're giving them the ones that you really want to get to so. right right i mean those are the ones that are I, I, they're in the house for a reason um and nobody seems unhappy with the setup. I check in with them every now and again. I'm like, do you guys still okay with this? And everyone's like, yeah, this works for me. I think they've all got a million other things going on. I mean, this is my hobby. Whereas this is not their hobby. I actually really like that idea. I might try and see if I can make that fly with some people here. Start a new one where it's just like, okay, you have these three picks. I mean, I think that that, that would be helpful for my book club sometimes because it's like, oh, what do we want to read and this, that, and the other. And I think that we have a lot of choice fatigue these days. Like, mm. you know, it's, it's almost like when you ask a question, like, what's your favorite book or something? When someone asks you something like that and you can't right. answer because you can't come up like, with anything. Yeah, it's too much. Or what did you, for me, it's like, what are you reading now? Sometimes I'm just like, well, what am I reading now? <laughs> yeah. People always ask me, tell me something you've really liked lately. And I look at them blankly like, oh, right. <laughs> I have to like open my blog up. I'm like, uh, I don't know. I feel like I should be making better notes. Maybe that should be one of our shows before the end of the year. Yeah. How do we keep what track? What would we recommend in certain 
in certain genres or though. Oh yeah, that's a good idea. Like a go-to list. Yeah. My go-to though for the most part is Destiny of the Republic by Candace Millard. I've never even heard of it. Oh, you have, because I've mentioned it so much on the show. Because it's it's like my go-to book. I feel like if you like fiction or if you like nonfiction, you'll really like this because it's about Garfield and his assassination and the development of penicillin and how they were all linked and why he died and like this, you know, the mental illness of the man who shot him and how he ultimately did not die from the gunshot, but the infection that his doctors helped perpetuate. It's just, it's narrative nonfiction, such a good story um, that you will feel caught up in it. Like it's a good fiction novel, but at the same time, it's nonfiction and lots of history. It's so good. All right. Well, now that's on my list. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we've, we've rambled about our book clubs. Any closing thoughts? I think, I think. All right. Well, we'll be back in a couple weeks. Yeah. And we're, I'm, I'm definitely going to check out. I want to see the first episode so that we can come back and see if our guesses about it were correct. I mean, I feel like they're giving in information about the Netflix book club, but still at the same time, it seems a little bit mysterious. So yeah, I'm curious to see. And I know you like, you've read and liked that book. I have not read that book. So passing. Oh, yes. Yeah, so I haven't read it. If you want to read Passing, I do not. um, The actress who is one of the characters in the book has narrated a book, has narrated the audiobook for Audible. I do not recommend it. She, It's so boring with her reading it. Try to find an older version or read it. I mean, it's short. So so now I'm finished. (laughs) All right. Well, until next time, happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Reader League can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at nicolebonia.com and me, Gail, at everydayiwritethebookblog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks. <laughs>